welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Really excited to have you back with me again this week because, as always, we are going to delve a little bit deeper into fatherhood. We're going to be talking about what you can do to better connect with your kids and what other dads are doing to connect with their kids. And as you know, I bring guests on to be able to talk about the journey that they're on because all of us are on a different journey that allows for us to be able to connect with our own kids, but also better connect with ourselves and better understand what it means to be a dad. Today, we've got a great guest with us. I've got Eric Custer with us. Eric is a professor. He's an author. He does. A, he's a huge entrepreneur. We're going to talk about a lot of this stuff, but we always start with an opportunity to learn more about Eric as a dad. But first, Eric, thanks so much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. Uh, I, you know, Girl Dads Unite, right? Of course. Girl Dads Unite is right. We have, we have to raise our fists up. As always, I love to turn the clock back in time. I, I know you've got three daughters, and they are still young in regards to being under, they're six and under. So I want to turn the clock back in time, let's say about six and a half years or so, or maybe seven. And let's go back to that first moment, that first moment when you found out that you were going to be a father to a daughter. What was going through your head? I mean, you know, so first off, I was like, yeah, obviously excited. It's a you know, great thing. I would say, so I grew up in a family of, I'm the oldest of three boys. So I have not really been around girls in that way, right? I'd, I'd sort of, I'd went to an all boys high school. Like I had a lot of those things that were like, oh gosh, what am I going to do at this house is going to happen? Uh, and so I think I was very excited, but I would also sort of say, I, I sort of approached it with the entrepreneur's mindset of like, be in the ready position and sort of, uh, you know, come with what may. You know, sometimes it is a funny thing, I will say, and, and I'm sure probably your listeners have heard this of like, people like, oh, like, you know, aren't you, you know, excited about having a boy and you can relate and stuff like that. And I sort of viewed this as this interesting opportunity for me to try something new and learn something and do different things. So I really did go in with that kind of like um, curiosity mindset to say, this is going to be great. I'm going to learn some things. I'm going to crush Barbies if I have to. We're going to get into girls, superheroes, whatever it needs to do. Uh, I kind of went in with that mindset, and that's been that's been really fun. Like to sort of go in with this learner's mindset. So let's talk about that learner's mindset because sometimes you go in with a certain perspective of I'm going to do this, and then sometimes that idea that you have in your head then changes a little bit as your kids come into your life and you see how your kids kind of react or act with the kind of mindset that you could come in with it as. So talk to me about where you were at the beginning and where you are today and, and what you've had to do to adjust based on what you've learned in the years that your daughters have been with you. I think, well, so in some ways I would sort of say that I, I hasn't radically changed. I think I came into it with the right mindset, like coming into it sort of with this um, entrepreneur's mindset. And I think the, the, you know, I teach entrepreneurship. I have been an entrepreneur for most of my life. I have that mindset behind it. I think the important thing to know in that is that sort of there's sort of a couple different principles that make it work, which I think works really well for dadness, for fatherhood, whatever it is behind it. I think number one is you have to go in assuming that you don't have the answers. You just have questions. And so like, I'm constantly curious, constantly trying to learn. Like, I'm just trying to like gather inputs into it. And that's the first thing that, that's behind it. 
Uh, and, it, and I think that's the first most important thing is you gather things there. The second thing that I think an entrepreneur has to do though, is they then have to sort of form their own conviction. And so I've also realized that you form your, con- you sort of, you know, gather this intel, but at the end of the day, like no one's going to make these decisions for you. Like what you do, how you operate, what choices you make. You then, you know, I, I often will tell my wife this as an entrepreneur, I'm often wrong, but never in doubt. <laughs> and so like, once I say like, we're going to try something, like we're going to go for it. I'm going to, you know, be all in behind it. And then I think the last thing that's really important as an entrepreneur is this iterative approach where you sort of reflect and kind of continue to improve. So I think those have been really important. I think I have a really, you know, incredible partner uh, in my wife and she, um, she and I both try to think a lot in terms of like frameworks about like how do we approach something so that we're not like kind of debating every decision over and over again. We have like general frameworks that we think about. Like our general rule about parenting is we don't think about like what's best for the kid alone. We think about what's best for the whole unit. And so when we think about it, we try to maximize like the, the all collective five of us. What are the best things we can do behind that and make choices into it? So I think it's been, it's worked for us. I mean, it's not easy, right? Nobody says it's easy, but I think we have been able to manage through it. And, and uh, especially this last 18 months has been a little crazy. Like we, you know, like any parent during the last 18 months, it's been crazy and wild. And, you know, we had school canceled for 18 months. I think what we sort of started to recognize, though, is this idea of, you know, not trying to listen to everyone's sort of like opinions and make your own mind up, do it and do the best you can has sort of gotten to this point. So it's been good. It's, you know, certainly like they're young, they're still six and under. So six, five and two. But I feel like we're all kind of like doing what we can. And a lot of times that's all you can do is doing what you can day in, day out. And you take it one day at a time because you just never know, right? There's always going to be something new that's going to be popping up. You get curves thrown at you all the time and there's no manual to follow. So you kind of have to just kind of figure it out as you go along, kind of like the entrepreneurship, right? There's there's lots of books, but that doesn't mean that there's a, there's an actual plan that every person can follow to, to follow the right path. So now as you look at your daughters and raising daughters, you have three daughters, some dads have told me in the past that going into being a father to a daughter, there's some fear. There's some fear in raising daughters. And like you said, you grew up in a in a in a household of three boys, so going into it, like myself, I'm an only child, so again, I had no concept of what I was getting myself into. So as you look at raising daughters in today's society, what what are your largest fears in raising daughters? I mean, I man, that's like a big gold question that you're asking me there in terms of that one. I, I guess what I would sort of say is I think, and again, I go back to the broader framework behind it, is I think my belief is that I want to give my children, and, and, I, and I view this not only as my children, but I, I sort of view this more in a macro sense, is I want everyone to have the chance to um, be fulfilled by what they do in their life and their work and then kind of in their broader relationships behind it. So I think that the, the biggest thing that I always want to make sure of is about opportunity maximization. And so my fear is sometimes of like pigeonholing someone because I know that in my own life and I know a lot of people's lives that like, you know, careers and life and ch- life's changing so rapidly. So I think that's probably the thing that I most nervous about or afraid of. And it's not just for my kids. I look at it more in a macro sense. And I'll, I'll maybe answer this question maybe slightly differently than you asked, but like my time. So I'm going to say what I want to. Um, I think, I think what's been interesting to observe is someone who is a college professor. So I am, you know, I teach at Georgetown. I'm not like a tenured professor. My wife is, but I am a, sort of a, an academic who is a practitioner. And so I came into Georgetown and teaching there, which is a, an exceptional school. Like 
as, as I told you before earlier, I wouldn't have gotten into Georgetown, so the fact they let me teach there is remarkably funny. But I think what's interesting about it is what a college degree used to mean is it used to mean that you were set up on a path where you would likely have a better outcome than your parents did. Like, that was just sort of what it's been. And that's no longer the case, right? It's not the case anymore where children of, you know, sort of 20 years ago that they're sort of doing better than their parents necessarily. And it's just because of the way the world has changed. So I think what what I've been focused on and like why my life is sort of taking me on this sort of interesting journey today is we now know that just because you go to a great school does not mean or, you know, a prestigious school does not mean you will, you know, make more money, whatever it is behind it. I think so much of what we, we find is just it's not where you do things, but it's what you do. So I actually, this is kind of interesting maybe for your listeners in particular. So I wanted to find out what did exceptional 20-somethings do um, that made them stand out? So like, how do you know what you should be doing for your child? And, I, and I'll tell you, like, this sort of research that I did was probably one of the most instructive things for me and what I'm trying to do with my kids. So I set out with this theory saying, okay, like, what do I want to do to help my kids really thrive? And first off, it's hard to know like what that even means behind it. So what I set out with is I started with a big sort of, let me figure out people who we think are thriving. So we looked at the Forbes 30 under 30. So if you look at the Forbes 30 under 30, whatever you think of that list, every year they recognize somewhere between about 600 and 800 exceptional 20-somethings. So these are an exceptional pool. So today there's now, it's, the list has been around about eight or nine years now. There's probably about 6,000 people on this list. And the Forbes Forbes 30 and 30 are across all fields, music, entrepreneurship, media, science, law, all these people. So they're exceptional people. So I wanted to know, like, what did they do differently? Like, what was unique about them? And so I set out with a couple interesting theories. The first theory that I had was maybe they all just went to really good schools. And so I thought, okay, you know, like all of us as parents are trying to get our kids in the best schools behind it. I was wrong on that one, right? So of this list, um, only about 20% or so, or a little less than 20% of them, went to a top 10 rated school. So only 20%. So it wasn't what school that they went to that made them the most exceptional ones behind it. So that was interesting. They actually went to um, over, over 600 different colleges, universities, community colleges, the whole thing. So it wasn't that they went to a particular school and that set them up for this one. The second thing I thought was, well, maybe they didn't get in the best undergrad, but they went to really great grad schools. Couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, more people on this list dropped out of college or never went than went to graduate school. So it wasn't even that graduate school was the thing that did it for them. My third theory was, well, maybe these were people that they all started companies in college and they were like doing that stuff. A lot of them did go on to start companies, but the average person was starting their company around 27 to 28 years old. So it was different than we thought behind it. So we were kind of found ourselves stuck, like, well, that's really interesting. Like, what did these people do then? And so I started to comb through even further and further. And it was a big, exhaustive data project to see what they did, how they did things. And I will tell you the thing that we found that they did in common. About 80% of them had a substantive project that they had done at some point in their early 20s that helped them kind of like accelerate themselves. We call these kind of creation events. And the projects they were doing were things like, they wrote and published their first book. They might have done a project. They might have put on an event. They might have put out an album. They might have done a podcast. But projects were things that they were doing. And we started to realize that projects were kind of the secret that people had this uh, success behind. And, and the real def- definition of what a project is, is number one, it's something that takes you between six months and a year. So it's not something that goes on in perpetuity forever, but it's also not something you can do in a weekend. So substantive projects, number one. Number two, they're things that matter to you. They're, they're, they're important to you. They're things that you're curious 
curious about, you care about, and that's why I think they really do matter in that one. And the third one is you're not setting out to do it as primarily for money. Certainly there may be money involved in it, but that's not the primary goal. It's not a startup company behind it. And so that's really what we started to realize was so powerful. So I tell you that long answer because it started to define what I think about for my kids. And I think about like, yeah, like I'm going to help them hopefully do great on homework and school and all that sort of stuff behind it. But if I could pick anything to do with them, it's to sort of help them find a substantive project they can work on, something they can do, they can finish, and they can put out in the world for feedback on it. And that, I think, is the single thing that I would say for my children and for others that I've started to realize, not that I'm afraid of, but that I think that I think is important is that as parents, a lot of parents get really, really wrapped up around what school are they going to go to? And if they don't get in the best school, are they going to be disappointed? They're not going to succeed behind it. And what I will tell you is the research shows that does not actually matter. In terms of your child thriving and succeeding, it's not about what school they went to. It's not about what graduate school. Frankly, it's not if they start companies. It's do they have substantive projects that they care about, that they get to sort of put their time into, and then they can show to the world what they they create. And that's really, I think, where I would sort of say I'm most sort of drawn to for my kids and hopefully for others. You know, that's really amazing because most parents would not think that was the case. They would think the former of what you said, of you, you need to have good grades, you need to have the study skills, you need to then go to a good school, you need to then go to a good potential grad school or get a top job to be able to provide you those opportunities. So I, I really appreciate it. And I love the fact that you kind of contradict that and you say, no, it's about those projects. And I love the fact that you found that because I think that will help any father to be able to not only better connect with their child, but also better be able to find ways to be able to help their child to stand out in a, in a society that is vastly changing and continuously changing. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I'll tell you one more quick thing on that about the father part of it, just as one sort of caveat on it. So I think that one of the most important things is, and I'll, and I'll, I'll give you a piece of language that as a parent will help you in this one. So when you also study these people that did engage in these projects, most of them did have some kind of a, we'll call it almost a coaching or a mentoring role. And the language I would tell you is really important is to sort of separate from you should and let's. So you should and let's. And that's the difference really. So I, I have a book that's coming out about mentorship and we studied like some of the you know most successful people and how they viewed mentorship and how their mentorship experiences, people like Sheryl Sandberg and Richard Branson. And the core word is let's. Let's sort of tackle this project together. And that I think is, is something that I've thought about, you know, again, whether you're someone in their, their 20s and 30s as a form, formal mentoring or as a parent, let's versus you should are really important words. I love reframing and reframing the words that we use with our kids are always a positive thing. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Now, you've started to do some things with your own kids to be able to have them have a project, have them have the ability to be able to work with you on something tangible that they can put out into the world. And it's actually a book that you're working on. Um, tell me about this book and how this started and, and kind of where it's at now. Yeah. I'll start with telling you, when I was in my 20s, I had this really unique opportunity to write and publish two books. And uh, it was kind of a random chance. But for me, it sort of fit into the same pattern I saw of these transformational things. It's sort of, we call them inflection points. So I got the experience this when I was in my 20s. And um, when I got invited to teach at Georgetown, um, after a couple years of teaching, finding it to be kind of unfulfilling personally, 
I said, I want to do something different. Like I want to do something matters. Uh, so I essentially hatched this crazy idea without telling anyone that I was going to force all of my students to write and publish a book. And so like they had no idea that they were going to be signing up for this one, but it was crazy and, and how it worked. And it was very much in this sort of thesis about a project that you could work on. And really like from that group of those first 16 or so students, they've gone to get jobs as soccer scouts, professional soccer scouts, venture capitalists, jobs in the entertainment industry, you know, sort of national book award winners, all kinds of interesting things from that experience. So that has sort of led me on this crazy journey where I am, again, sort of the champion of the creator and have have gone on to uh, help more than a thousand of of my former students go on to publish books uh, and the like. So that's sort of the the context of this one. So about um, 10 or 11 months ago, I had been getting more and more people who've been reaching out to me. In fact, some of them were parents. They were people who said, hey, I've always wanted to write a children's book. I've always wanted to write a book behind it. And so I was like, you know, it's kind of an interesting idea. Like, and I'm very much an experimenter. So I said, well, maybe I can do a group of people who want to write children's books. And when I refer to children's books, not talking about like picture books, but I'm more talking about books that are chapter books. So they're books that are written. So think about anywhere from a six-year-old all the way up to a teenager, that style of book behind it. So Percy Jackson or Hunger Games or even younger than that, those sorts of ones behind it. So I decided to do this in November and last year. uh, And stupid of me to do this like right during the middle of the pandemic, but I figured it would be a fun little thing to do. So I got a group of people together. And I remember on the first day when I got these sorts of people together, a lot of them were actually parents. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do this too. And I would sort of say like, that was like, I already had another book that I was working on. So this is a terrible idea on so many different levels. Um, but I did commit to it. And then I told my kids like, hey, I think I'm going to do this little thing here. Why don't you help me brainstorm some ideas for, for it? Now, it wasn't something that I ever intended to do like as a real thing. Like I'm a nonfiction writer. That's my thing. I'm not a creative writer. So this is not my jam. I don't like live in that world and think about it, but we started talking about it. And so what I would start to do is I'd get together with my daughters, especially my sort of six and four year old at the time, Quinn and Parker. And we'd start talking about things, what they liked, what they didn't like. And we started talking about different stories and stuff like that. And I just started to kind of be in listening mode. And I spent several months in listening mode. I, I was sort of not really doing any writing at the very beginning of this one. It wasn't really until um, around February that it started. And so I just started like listening to what they cared about, what they liked, what was interesting to them. And I started taking notes of it. And then I started saying, well, why don't I actually see if I can just tell you a story. So I teach a lot of things about how to sort of structure stories and stuff like that behind it. So I just started like mapping things out every night. And for about two months, um, I would get together. uh, I would sort of spend a couple minutes or a couple, you know, half hour before the, the bedtime story. And I would write some notes out of bullet points behind it. And then I just went in and told the story. We actually, you know, wound up doing um, sort of three stories, uh, sort of three books, I guess I would sort of say behind it, um, of these three individuals, these three characters that we'd invented. And I remember a very important point in it was, um, you know, it was just fun for me to tell it out there. But what I did is I actually took my phone and I recorded myself speaking it. So every day I would record these things behind it. And then I had it transcribed. So I actually had like a record of what we did. And as we were working through this thing, um, life was happening around us. So during this time, um, at one point we were talking about um, so sort of some of the stuff that was going on in Afghanistan with uh, with the Taliban. And the Taliban had not allowed girls to go to school. Like that was something you know, sort of you, you've seen that as sort of the policy. And my daughters couldn't understand it. They were like, "I don't. What are you talking about? Like, why couldn't people go?" And I had a really hard time explaining it to them. So. 
as we were developing the story further and further, we started talking about like what they liked. So they liked things like, you know, sort of magic and they liked fantasy and that kind of stuff behind it. And this thing that I had a hard time explaining to them, which is like, not being able to write, not being able to do this. And so we created this world where uh, writing was banned. Writing had been banned because in this magical world we made, made uh, we're calling it the magic writers as a story, that essentially writing had been forbidden because in this world you don't actually cast magic spells. It's not like Harry Potter. Instead what you do is you write them. So you script magic spells. You have a, a quill instead of a, a wand. And um, that was a really interesting way to teach them about something they were interested in. And um, at the end of it, it was like other parents were like, whoa, that's super interesting. Like, I'd love to read it or whatever like that. And I was like, well, this is terrible. Like, I cannot share it with you in this form. Um, But I started working through it further and further, um, getting feedback from my daughters. And um, yeah, by the end of this year, we'll have... So we're just about two weeks away from having... Um, our first wave of beta readers um, come into it. And it's changed a ton. It's probably now, you know, in the vein of, like, the Percy Jackson, Harry Potter kind of thing. But uh, it went from being a 20,000 sort of orally told story to my daughters based on their feedback and insights along the way. We're going to have our third reading of it with them in this third version in a couple weeks that now we've got something. And so they're very excited. We're going to be doing a pre-sale campaign. We're donating um, some of the proceeds to uh, sort of to, to support female literacy around the world. And um, it's been wild. It does sound like a wild ride and definitely one that is so fun for you and your daughters to go on together in looking at where it was and where it is today. Now, if they were here today and I asked them about this, what's going through their heads as they see this all coming together? So I think, you know, so they're young, right? So they're six and and five. And so I think for a lot of them, they care about very small details, right? They care about things like, and so we're we're drawing, you have illustrations that I can share with you about the characters. They care about things like the pink streak in one of their hairs and they care about the the color of the quill. So they care about a lot of those things. I think what what they would probably say about it though is it's something that we get to talk about a lot. And and that's really the interesting part about it is my daughter Quinn talks about, you know, what she wants to give away and she talks about how she wants she's talking to our librarian about it. So I think it gives us something to talk about and it's not always in the way that they would think about. And again, it, it's one of those things that they are much more of the my board of directors telling me what things they want, what they don't like, what sort of pieces that they want into it. And so I think that's probably what they would tell you is like, "Oh, well, it's our book." It's something we work on, and and that's probably the best way to to frame it. I do think, though, that what has been interesting is watching them start to take that sort of story and bring it into their own lives. So they now go out and play as they're these characters. They go out and, like, talk about it in that way. So I think that they internalize those things and, and will have hopefully something fun to show about it. But I would say the probably the most important thing that we've done is make sure the illustrations that we have an artist working on are how they want their characters to look. <laughs> That's probably been the most important thing in the last month. Now, as you talk to other dads that are out there, you, you interact with them on the street, whatever it might be, and you talk to them about the concept that you talked about just a little bit ago in regards to finding that project, finding something that their kids can go out and do to leave that mark on the world. What are some of the steps that you encourage them to go through to be able to come up with a, something meaningful that's going to allow for their child to either take the project and bring the project to them as, as, the, as the dad, or if you have younger children, presenting something to them as a possibility too, because it's got to be age appropriate. And, you know, and in, in when they're young, I mean, that's a hard, little bit harder, but as they get older, I'm sure you have to give a little bit of that away and have them then 
return. So what do you talk to dads about in that regard? So I think there's a couple things that I'll say, and this is sort of, you know, I'll take it in general, like when I coach any author of their first project behind it, is I, I think you want to pick something that's finishable. So you want to make sure, like, this is why I don't tell people, like, don't start a blog. And I don't think blogs, or even don't start a podcast, and, and nothing against podcasts, but I think, like, think about this in something that is finishable. So I can finish a podcast season, I can finish an article series, I can finish a book. But I think that's the first thing, is I think sometimes we expect people to sign up for this ongoing, never-ending behavior change, and, and I don't sort of see that to work very well. So that's why I think of this as a project. So make sure that it's finishable, I think, is the first thing behind it. I think the second thing to know is that when you're doing projects, creative projects in whatever stripe there are, there's really two phases. So we've, we oftentimes talk about, you know, you've probably heard people talk about left brain and right brain. It's not a real like thing that we know now. Like when you study neuroscience, it's not, there's not left brain and right brain. But what there is, is there are two different sort of parts of the brain. There's what we call the divergent brain and the convergent brain. The divergent brain is what we oftentimes call the childlike brain. The childlike brain is the one that just collects. And so you might start from an idea like we did, um, but let it expand. Let them brainstorm, like literally like just capturing stuff along the way. And that's the first step in any project is the divergent process. I, I tell you know others is to sort of say, you have to start by collecting the dots. And that's what we did in our project. I think that's anyone. You just have to go out and listen and learn and take your kids and explore and sort of say, hey, why don't we just like learn for a bit? And, and you know, we spent several months just gathering and capturing those things behind it. And then the next phase is where the, the convergent brain takes over. The convergent brain is the pattern finding brain. And what that really does, it goes in and basically connects those dots. So once we had some pieces, we could start to connect them together and then turn it into it. So I think that's really what I would say from a process standpoint is pick something that you think you want to do. Hey, let's think about like, do we want to do this thing that you can finish behind it? Number two, start out the process by gathering a bunch of stuff here. Don't like sort of try to worry to make sense of it here. Like, let's think about things like, who do you like here? What characters? All that kind of stuff behind it. Uh, and then once you have a bunch of stuff, start to think about how it might fit together. And then I think this iterative approach process behind it, like, hey, why don't we start with some little things, see what it is. And I think, you know, I always tell people that, you know, you want to sort of have something that is like sort of a milestone you're running towards, finishable and those sorts of things behind it from there. So maybe that's you and your kids want to work on a music album. Okay, if that's what you want to do, then start and sort of just figure out like what to like in the music industry. Go talk to people, go learn, go into stuff like that. And then say like, well, let's start with like, you know, capturing some sounds and let's make one song. And then once you finish one song, let's make more songs and then turn it into an album. Like, I, I think that idea of this iterative approach is really important, making sure it's finishable, but also knowing that most projects don't start out with saying chapter one. In the beginning, right? that's not how book projects start out. That's not how albums start out. They start with much more of an exploration piece of it. So diverge from the big idea, gather as much stuff as you can, and then sit down and reflect. All right, what do we have? Are we able now to turn this into something? So whether this is a book, whether this is a project in your community, I think what you just said is gold and definitely something that you can you can do you can do and put into effect no matter what the scenario or what the case. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. Now we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five more questions to delve deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? I'm in. In one word, what is fatherhood? Iteration. When was the time that you finally felt like you succeeded as a father to a daughter? I think it was probably the point when my daughters started parroting something back that we had said to their other their other friends. Like, you know, we heard them sort of parroting those things back. I think when, when you hear them sort of telling something that you've told them as if it's their own, that was a moment behind uh, for sure that I think was, was an interesting one. Now, if I was to ask your daughters, how would they describe you as a dad? 
I'm always the one who likes to sort of like do superheroes and play like that. I think they they'd call me like the the fun the fun dad, like stuff like that. Like I like to play with things there. So I think they describe them that way. I, I think what they would probably say is that um, dad likes to tell stories. Dad likes to do that sort of stuff. So I think they would probably describe me in that that sort of way. You know, I, I think they also sort of would describe us though is is you know in the same sort of way is that you know we do push our kids. So I think that there's also this like you know again we're we're definitely not their like their best friends in that way. Like we don't operate that way. So I think we push them in that way, but I certainly think like try to make sure that it's a balance of both those pieces. Now who inspires you to be a better dad? Well, I mean, I'll give the easy one, right? I think obviously like, you know, my father and my father-in-law, I think are two great examples behind that one. I do think though that in general, what I would say is I do find, so so there's an interesting like little statistic that I'll share with you a little bit is I, I think that I, I don't always know if it's like great to find like individuals to sort of say this is the perfect person, but I, I will say that I think um, fathers of daughters play a very important role in our society about breaking the patriarchy in some ways. Um, and what's interesting is there's a researcher up in Maryland who was trying to understand this concept and. The concept was is like equal pay in the workforce. So it's sort of surprising that still at this point in America we're not we're equal place. And so this researcher set out to sort of figure out like what is about it? Like what do we? How can we do to make this right? Because as fathers, you want your daughter to be on a level playing field. All these things behind it. And what was really interesting is they looked at all these variables and companies that had equal pay and those that didn't. They wanted to figure out like what was the common factor behind it. And uh, they looked at, at really everything that they could, whether they what industry they were in, kind of what their background was behind it, and they only found one thing that was in common across companies that were equal pay. You know what it is? You know what the answer is? No. Go ahead. The CEO had a daughter. That's it. And so I think what's important in that one is that it's an interesting thing that you can't really understand. And it wasn't, you know, again, the CEO could be a woman and it wasn't the same thing, the having that daughter. So I think what I would sort of say is in general, I'm inspired by all dads because of girl dads, because I think that there's something in it of our job is it's hard to understand our role in the patriarchy as a man until you have a daughter that you see getting stuck by it. And we, we do. We, we certainly live in a patriarchy. We should sort of not kid that around it. But I do think it's our job to sort of think through those things. And I would say even myself, like understanding how to coach, how to mentor, how to support, that's an important thing. So I would say all dads who are leading, who are organizing and stuff like that uh, as and have daughters, I think we play an important role in kind of making uh, making a change. Now, you've given a lot of pieces of advice today, but what's one piece of advice that you'd want to give to all dads? It's funny. Like, I'm sort of in the anti-advice game, to be totally honest with you. So I, I try not to give advice, but I, I will give the framework. And, and I think the framework that I would sort of say back to it is, you know, I do think that when, you know, and, and I'll take this broader answer that I've found in this case, I think the first thing to know is that I try to do things that are for the benefit of the whole family, not just for one daughter or them in general. So I think that's the first thing behind it um, is sort of that mindset has been really helpful for me personally. So I, I feel like we're kind of aligned. We're making choices that are optimal for us. And that's a good thing. I think taking that in the second step of this one is then if you pick a project that you want to work on with your daughter or your daughter's, pick something that you're excited about too, right? Like work on something together from it. I mean, think, you know, for me, this project, this story that we've done with my daughter, the Magic Writers, you know, I would say it's been way more work than I ever anticipated to be. And if, it, if I weren't excited about it personally, as well as with them, I probably would have stopped doing it. But because I picked something that is for the collective interesting in it, 
Uh, and I do think they'll get something out. I mean, they're young, right? They, they're not writing 70,000 words at all. They are telling me what they want to write and giving feedback along the way. But I'm also like enjoying and learning it. So I think as you, depending on where you are on these ones, pick stuff that's, you know, that works. In it. And, and I'll say all this caveat of this specific book project, it's, it'd be different if my daughters were 13, right? They would like not sort of want to work on this in the same sort of way. That said, like, you know, my hope is, is that like, this is the first of many projects we get to do together. And so I think in general, pick something that is kind of like generally interesting to you and your child together. Use the terms let's, like let's work on something together behind it. And also, you know, iterate, like this is one of those things that I think like when you're working on something together, cool stuff emerges, not necessarily what you always thought at the beginning. And and I would say, I didn't think it would end up where it is today, but because we've kept playing around that it's led to it. And so I think projects are the secret for anyone. And even if you're not going to work on the project with your child or you can't at that point, whatever it is, I will tell you, don't get so stressed out about like what school they go to and all that kind of stuff behind it. Giving your children opportunities to work on projects that are finishable, are meaningful, and are things that like ultimately they're just doing because they love them, not because it's a job or whatever it is. Like that's the big- biggest gift you can give to to any child. Well, Eric, I just want to say thank you for being here. Now, if people want to find out more about you, about the the new book, or your other ventures, you know, where's the best place for them to go? You just search for me online. My, my, my name is ericcuster.com, K-O-E-S-T-E-R. So you can find me there. Um, the book program that I do, so I do every semester, I open to an open community of authors. So about two to 300 authors per semester from all over the world get together. So if you're interested in writing a book, great. If you're interested in kind of collaborating with your child on it, we're not the best. We don't have a program specifically for collaborating on it. I would sort of say mostly it's like you are writing a book and bringing them along for the ride. But I'm happy to chat about those things. Certainly always fun behind it. And uh, yeah, the new book should be out sometime this winter. So if you are interested in being a beta reader, just reach out to me. I'd be happy to share it with you and your child. Uh, It's probably aimed best for like seven to 12-year-olds as that one. But anyone who likes Harry Potter, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Percy Jackson, I think they'll have fun with it. And Yeah. Thanks for uh, hanging out with me. Well, Eric, I really appreciate your time today and I wish you all the best. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast 
calling astronauts and firemen, carpenters and muscle men. Get out and be the world to them. Be the best dad you can be. Be the best dad you can be.